So, so, so WatchKeeper International is uh, what we call a critical event management platform, um, and it maps a company's assets and employees uh, alongside real-time risk feeds. So it provides corporate security, um, uh, corporate security, business continuity, and supply chain managers with complete situational awareness, effectively, of violent incidents and natural disasters. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to the founder of a company called Watchkeeper International. And Watchkeeper International is using geospatial analytics and geospatial data to help organizations manage and mitigate risk and basically become more risk resilient. Hugh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this inter- interview with me. It's much appreciated. I realize that you're a busy man you're, and you're busy because you're the founder of a company called Watchkeeper International. Before we jump into that, can you give me a, a brief overview of, of your background? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Daniel, thank you very much indeed for having, having me on your uh, podcast. Um, so I, I've spent the last 15 years in uh, corporate security and crisis management. Uh, the last 10 of those were one of the largest financial institutions on the, on the planet. Um, and that company ha- had uh, over 5,000 facilities around the world and uh, over 300,000 employees um, that work for it. Um, so when something went bang in the world, um, we usually had either a facility or an employee uh, fairly nearby. Um, and that's with respect to either terrorism attacks, civil unrest, uh, or natural disasters such as earthquakes uh, or even tsunamis. Um, so uh, I joined the company uh, um, uh, firstly to um, kind of uh, help them set up their threat intelligence department. Um, so that it was proactively monitoring uh, for risks that could impact the business, um, uh, primarily uh, civil unrest and terrorism. Um, so sometimes these events happen in places where you don't necessarily expect them. So, for instance, in Greece, after the financial crisis, um, the, uh, they had huge austerity measures imposed on the country and they had uh, numerous uh, violent demonstrations uh, that would occur outside uh, Parliament, and uh, we had one of our offices that was also kind of located on that um, uh, parliamentary square called Satagma Square. Um, and naturally, the business um, hotel that all of our employees used to access the office was on the other side of the square. So we kind of used to have this um, issue where employees were potentially running the risk of trying to dodge um, stones, bricks and petrol bombs as they were kind of walking to and from the office. So even in even in countries where we probably expect that natural disaster risks or terrorism or civil unrest don't really um, occur that frequently, actually those can be some of the, the, the most complex um, uh, countries to do, to do business in from certain perspectives. It's just purely location-based, uh, right? Um, and then I um, spent some time um, uh, setting up uh, the, the company's regional command center for Europe, Middle East and Africa. And that was a 24-hour uh, crisis response center um, uh, monitoring for these risks and then being that first line of response to identify which facilities or employees or travelers might be, be at risk uh, and reporting those up to senior management um, uh, and then after a stint in uh, New York as the chief of staff to the chief security officer, 
Um, I spent three years as part of the crisis management team for the firm. Um, and that was dealing with uh, worldwide risks, um, predominantly on a natural disaster level. Um, hurricane season, which we're at the peak of right now, and of course, Hurricane Dorian is, is going to make landfall in Florida in uh, a couple of days' time as a Category 3 storm, they predict. Um, dealing with that and making sure that we could um, uh, be uh, resilient uh, in our operations uh, and ensure that the staff as well were um, uh, prepared and well protected. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's a bit of my background. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's brought me on to kind of where I am now because we, um, uh, set up a mapping platform within that company to, to, to synchronize some of the, uh, the disparate data sources we had within the firm, uh, to really get what we call domain awareness of where our assets and employees were at any given time, uh, in relation to some of these risk events. Okay, so th- this is this is a great way of tying it into the whole theme of this podcast, which is geospatial, which is mapping. So, so somewhere along the line, you and your company recognised that that the location of things had uh, gave context to to the assets and to the employees you were trying to protect or, or to manage in these these risky situations. Um, what did your mapping platform look like at, at that stage when you're still working for the company? Uh, so it had two phases, really. So um, I think most of your listeners would be familiar with Google Earth. It's a consumer-facing mapping product. Um, we started off very basic, actually. We just took um, reports in from uh, political risk um, uh, vendors of uh, violent incidents and uh, in cities where uh, our firm had a presence, and we would map those. And we wouldn't just map them down to the... Um, the city level, we would also use uh, photographs and um, uh, other markers such as road names uh, to be able to map where those incidents happen down to the, the street corner or the building location of where they, they took place. And it suddenly just gave us a brand new context of, of what was occurring within, within our domain, within our environment that we were doing business. Um, and what we found was that uh, the business didn't really understand a lot of these risks um, in, in their full context. So, for instance, they would hear and see something on the news. Um, and at the time when we started this back in 2012, there were a lot of uh, low-level IED, uh, so improvised explosive device and grenade attacks um, happening in, in the central business district of Nairobi. And there was a lot of concern amongst um, some of the senior members in our in our firm about the terrorism risk that our operations or our employees might be um, exposed to. But actually, when we mapped it all out, we kind of saw that our facility uh, lay um, uh, across uh, from the CBD across a golf course, and so actually on if, on the side of um, on the other side of the golf course where we were located no attacks um, had taken place and no violent incidents were really occurring over there. Um, so it was always kind of in the central business district. So it allowed us to start tailoring our mitigation strategy for those local employees and, and asking that actually they didn't have business meetings in the central business district. They didn't go out after work, advising them not to go out after work into those bars and restaurants in the central business district and actually just hold the meetings or go and kind of dine for lunch or, or dinner um, uh, near our office on in the other part of the city uh, on the other side of the golf course. And so location intelligence really just contextualized the threat for those um, uh, senior leaders who maybe didn't understand fully what was going on, didn't understand the geography, 
Um, and it just, um, I guess, gave them that reassurance that what they were seeing on the news in a rather exaggerated way, um, as often these uh, incidents are reported, uh, was not actually necessarily the, the, the full picture of, of how, we, how we were being impacted. Okay, so I think you said a lot of really, really important things there. Um, I'd like to pick out just a few of them. So it sounds like that was that was a big moment when you or the other company realized that, that there was a context that was missing. Yeah, there were attacks going on, but where were they relative to the people that we were we were concerned about or the assets that we were interested in? So that was a big thing. And then you you you, you were using a platform to do it, and it, you found the probably the first and the best, which was maybe Google Earth at the time. And you did something about it. You've made the realization, hey, this data is really important. The context of these situations is really important. And you probably also had the realization that maybe Google Earth wasn't the best tool for the job. So this probably leads in really nicely to a conversation about what is the software that you've built? What are you the founder of? What is WatchKeeper International? And how have you improved the situation from those early days in terms of um, location awareness? So, so, so WatchKeeper International is uh, what we call a critical event management platform, um, and it maps a company's assets and employees uh, alongside real-time risk feeds. So it provides corporate security, um, uh, corporate security, business continuity, and supply chain managers with complete situational awareness, effectively, of violent incidents and natural disasters, um, but via a single mapping display. So this allows them to proactively mitigate the business disruption that we've talked about, all those threats through employee life safety. And what we found was that when you're when an incident occurs, there's a couple of key things that you need to know kind of immediately. And the, and the key to disaster preparedness and response is understanding what assets, what employees and what critical business functions um, are at risk in the given area. And yet there are different departments usually within an organization that actually are the uh, key holders of those data sets. So for instance, facilities management uh, will have all the records of where your facilities are located. Um, uh, you'd have uh, human resources, which would in, um, uh, hold all of the employee information uh, of where people work, their names, their employee ID numbers, which um, business functions they sit in, etc. Travel management would hold all of the travel records uh, for your employees uh, that are on the move. Um, so which um, airports um, are they flying in and out of and which hotels are they uh, booked into and for how long? And then you'd have uh, maybe your business continuity department, uh, which would um, have where your business continuity sites are, um, what your uh, risk assessment plans were for, uh, what your risk assessments for those facilities were, and uh, maybe what your evacuation plans, etc., are. All of those data sets are needed fairly quickly in order to not only determine the level of risk that an organization faces, but also what are the tools that we already have, like your risk assessments, your evacuation plans, your floor plans, uh, to be able to kind of mitigate the, the, the response or, or provide a more effective and fast response. Um, so our platform integrates all of those systems um, directly alongside uh, real-time access control feeds. So who is in the building at a given time? So, for instance, in the summer months, obviously, during August, um, most people go away on holiday, especially around the bank holiday weekend that we've just had here in the UK. Um, and so if an incident was to occur just outside of a particular facility, 
Um, you don't want to be suddenly doing a, a staff accounting for uh, 8,000 people um, when actually maybe only five and a half thousand people are in the building at that given day. So taking real-time feeds in from your access control systems allows you to triage very quickly to those people that you need to um, kind of focus on uh, from a crisis mitigation perspective. Uh, and we do this on the, on, the, on the flip side. So that's your internal information. We then take in all of um, the external uh, feeds as well um, from risk vendors. And that can be um, uh, either public or private. So on the on the on the public side, uh, we take in sensors from government agencies such as the United States Geological Survey, which monitors in real time for earthquakes, tsunami risks, um, and 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 uh, flood sensors or river sensors across the United States, which can tell you when a river is just about to flood or has gone into flooding. And we also take them in from private sources, um, such as your political risk um, political risk firms, which give you kind of detailed travel assessments and things like that for um, um, maybe operational planning around close protection, uh, but also from social media aggregators uh, for high impact events that will tell you often before the news does that an incident is, is ongoing. Um, and again, you can use a lot of geospatial tools to kind of map those and and determine what uh, automatically determine what's in a certain geofence from from that alert that comes in. So it, it's a it's a it's a data integration platform effectively um, that leverages location intelligence to simplify how some of the largest organisations in the world monitor and respond to adverse events. Okay, so that's that sounds incredibly interesting, and I think the the thing I really like about this and, and what you're doing is that you're not creating data as such, you, you're just integrating data. You're an aggregator of data. So you're taking these resources that are out there already. You've figured out how to integrate them in your system and visualize them in real time, and and then I, I'm assuming you put some sort of layer of intelligence on top of that. So you say, okay, these are areas that I'm really interested in. Maybe draw a geofence around that and say, okay, if this happens within a certain distance of this other thing, I'm going to send an alert of some kind, or I'm going to get someone's attention and say, hey, there's something interesting happening over here. Um, can you say a little bit more about how the those sort of rules and how the intelligence of the system actually works and, and what, what it's capable of doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched on it a little bit um, earlier when you when you talked about contextualizing the risk or the threat. So, uh, for instance, um, we can set um, uh, business rules, um, automated kind of alerting rules, so to speak, around specific events. So, for instance, if you, if you have operations um, in... San Francisco in California, and you also have operations in uh, Indonesia, uh, then you may want bis- different business rules around specific threats. And let me give you an example, right? So in San Francisco, we know that building regulations um, are geared towards earthquake uh, damage prevention, and the building regulations are of an incredibly high standard. And so therefore, we may only want to be alerted to an earthquake that happens within 30 miles um, of one of uh, our facilities and is, let's say, uh, uh, only over 7.5 uh, on the Richter scale. Whereas in Indonesia, where maybe the building regulations aren't as, um, aren't as tight as in, in California and the emergency response uh, teams from the government aren't as, um, as rapid due to some of the kind of geographical nature of the country, 
then we can set it so that it alerts you to any earthquake within 100 miles of a, your facilities in Indonesia, and maybe uh, any that's over five on the Richter scale. So you start setting kind of different thresholds for your different risk tolerances within different operating environments. And so that allows you to, that allows the user to essentially tailor the product to their specific uh, business needs. And, and it can prove to be um, a way of really filtering out all of the noise that you, you that you might get from these data streams. There's absolutely no way that um, a, a team of threat intelligence analysts can sit there and monitor all of the p- potential uh, risk scenarios that a that a large organisation may face. Uh, whereas you can uh, use geospatial technology and automated. Um, business rules to do that filtering of that information for you. Um, so, for instance, we've got a, um, uh, a pilot program which we're running with IBM uh, and the weather company at the moment for hurricane uh, season. And we're only mapping river sensors that enter uh, flood action stage, so i.e. the river is about to burst its banks, uh, or the river is in minor, moderate or major flooding. And those river sensor and it's only plotting those ones that are within kind of five miles of uh, of a user's facilities when they upload all of their locations onto the map because usgs has over ten thousand river sensors in 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 the united states and viewing those all on the map and trying to work out uh, the different colors of which ones are in which different stages is is too much for the eye to take in so we we simplify that process for you by just letting you know what you need to know when you need to know it. In the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about using this tool also as a way of documenting an incident or an an event. And you talked about uh, that you could, you know, go back in time and replay the event and and watch it and use this, okay, we made this decision here because of these factors here and then this happened uh, and really document it. So I'm assuming this would also be a learning thing for people to look back on and say, oh, next time we'll react differently or we did that really well. Is is that the kind of functionality that's built into this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the keys to um, uh, crisis management is is learning from uh, different scenarios. No scenario is ever the same. Uh, No hurricane that that comes into the US and there there are what around on average about uh, five to ten hurricane uh, or major storms a a year that kind of um, uh, hit the US either on the Pacific side or the Atlantic side. Um, None of them is the same. It hits at a different point at a different strength um, and brings with it different risks, uh, whether those are are wind damage risks, storm surge risks uh, or flooding risks uh, from rivers uh, swelling too much. And so there's always going to be lessons that you can learn from how you as your team responded to to that event and how you um, kept your business operations resilient, um, made sure that they could still service their clients um, and how you also protected the safety and security of your uh, local employees and your traveling population. And so after action reviews are a usual process for crisis management teams to um, just go back and honestly look at what decisions they made uh, based on what information. And so being able to uh, rewind in time, so our platform stores the data and you can rewind in time, back to a certain point just before the incident started, press play almost like on a DVR machine 
uh, or video recording machine, and then watch that incident play out again, see when the different data feeds presented you with their information, and then cross-reference that against the scribe's log of when you made those decisions and on what information you were making those decisions can really help you get better handling any any situations in, in, in the past. And it, it's a great training and refresher tool. So, so if you're concerned about uh, hurricane season in 2020 and you've um, got all of that information stored from 2019, we can resupply that back to you. Um, you can have a look at some of those incidents again and you can test your team uh, maybe in May 2020, just before hurricane season starts, um, to, to, to simulate uh, what's going on. So a really powerful tool, I think, from a, um, a, a learning perspective. Absolutely. And I realize now that we're talking about asset management and people management and, and risk management, but I can see a lot of other use cases for this, especially tracking all those different data feeds that you, that you are and that ability to go back in time. You could create a countless number of scenarios and slowly but surely add these new data feeds in and use it as a real training ground for people. You could also look and see how the environment reacts to the hurricane coming in. What 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 do people do? How does the social environment act? I'm, I'm guessing if you're ingesting these feeds from social media, for example, you could see opinions, feelings, or movements of people th- throughout time as the hurricane gets closer and closer. You could see river levels rise. You could see congestion on the streets. It sounds like an incredible database that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you talk about, um, you talked a bit about there about looking at the broader picture. Um, So you talked about looking at live traffic fees. So when a local authority um, starts setting up evacuation zones in Florida, for example, or in Louisiana before a hurricane hits, you can start monitoring where the choke points are um, using live traffic data. And when roads are closed in order to create evacuation routes out of town, Again, you can confirm those by using uh, live feeds from traffic cameras uh, to see where those choke points are, where the roads are closed, or if this is after the um, hurricane has passed through, what uh, roads or supply routes are have are flooded or have trees down over them and, and maybe out of action. So um, I, I think integrating kind of feeds from places where you wouldn't necessarily think about looking can give you a, a much broader picture of, 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 of how to manage a, a situation and, and what to make decisions based upon. Absolutely. And of course, being a, um, a geo geek myself, I love the fact that it's location that gives all this context. It's location of these different objects, assets and, and events relative to each other that actually you know, creates the information that people are, are interested in. And I also love the idea. It sounds really simple. Like it sounds like a, a dashboard kind of arrangement where I only get the things that I need. I don't have to worry about where the data comes from because you've aggregated all the all these different data streams and taken care of that for me. And it's just show show me, you know, show me the data, show me the thing that I'm interested in. Uh, the, I think this is the way that geospatial is fitting in to solve more and more problems. It's not, you're not a geospatial company as such, even though it sounds like you deal with almost exclusively geospatial data. You're, you're a risk company and geospatial is the thing that you use to put that risk in, in context. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we, we, we use uh, dynamic dashboards and other analytical tools such as uh, charting and tables um, to, uh, to allow 
uh, risk managers to uh, understand what specific assets, employees or business functions might be a risk in an impacted area. But we often find actually that the, the most powerful tool is not necessarily those dashboards, which are more used by the analysts and the people in the front line to quickly determine what's going on. It's actually the visualization um, of the map and where your assets and, and, and people are located in proximity to the risk event that helps those executives or uh, other um, uh, crisis decision makers um, shorten their critical de decision cycles um, and be able to implement the right processes and protocols to, to mitigate the, the, the risk at hand. Having 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 this our platform, which is a, essentially a huge map with some dashboards at the at the side with some key metrics, up on a command center screen or in a situation room on the on the briefing televisions, uh, being able to share that with teams across the world, so everyone's looking at the same common operating picture, uh, from your executives in in maybe Manhattan uh, to your on the ground security teams that might be might be down in Florida or wherever it is actually uh, trying to assist um, businesses and personnel on, on the ground, all working off that same platform and that seeing that same picture is an absolute game changer for how you manage the risk. Yeah, no question. And this is the, the holy grail for anyone who's working in, in a huge organization where, where data is siloed, is, is getting it together, like simplifying it for the first thing and presenting it in a way where everyone is looking at the same you know, you know, the same data source. We update it once, we update it here, and then it's distributed from there. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. And I can completely understand that the benefits that, that would give to, to an organization. If I could just take a minute now just to summarize really, really quickly some of the things that we've been, we've been talking about. And then, then I'd like to move on and uh, ask you a few questions about the future. So you've built a system where you aggregate a lot of data, lots of different feeds. And you've also got, so it's not just um, weather data and traffic cameras and earthquake feeds and, and other IoT sensors. You also got that human element. So you've got these social media feeds coming in. And, and the end result is that you have a lot of data visualized. You're asking companies and organizations, perhaps even individuals, to upload uh, locations that they are interested in. So assets that they might have, things that they're interested in and protecting. They can create geofences around them. And that gives them alerts whenever the, the risk threshold is is crossed. So whatever they set their risk threshold as, as it you know as that crosses that, that they they get an alert. Is is that kind of like a very very brief overview of of what you're doing? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is about giving that that kind of complete situational awareness um, of what is happening in your in your business environment. Um, and, and and contextualizing that that um, that view for you, um, I, I think the, the the rules and the automation that we can do to filter out that that information and that noise is incredibly powerful. Um, and uh, I, I think you you touched on it a little bit there using kind of social media. Um, there is obviously the sentiment analysis we can use, uh, and we do that um, through, uh, for instance, on, on close protection or, or major event protection uh, for major organizations. So you, you could take an annual shareholders meeting, right? Um, and we know of a number of oil companies and other financial institutions which have had um, uh, activist groups, whether they're environmental or, or others that have um, uh, sought to protest at, at those types of events. Uh, you can use um, 
you can use geofences to to, to surround the the um, uh, event space that you're that the company might be utilizing. So whether it's a a conference hall, a hotel, or wherever it might be, and, and start to to understand who is talking uh, within a given radius of that event uh, space about. Uh, your company, uh, any of your senior executives, some of the issues that you might be concerned about. Sometimes some of these activist groups even talk about what action they're going to do on these social media channels uh, and when they're going to do it. And so that you can start um, proactively kind of trying to push out the borders um, uh, to protect your um your your shareholders or your senior executives or your employees and this this isn't from a point of view of not allowing these activist groups to have their say or have their word Uh, it's more about just ensuring that it's all done in a a safe and a safe manner that you're not having protesters storm a building um, where it could put uh, in danger the, the the safety of of those inside that's one of the ways we use social media i think the other way that we um use social media is um, around high impact events. So there are companies out there that are uh, trawling the Twitter fire hose, um, something which we as consumers don't have access to, um, but there's a few companies that do. And they're running very clever um, AI automation um, on, on all of the tweets to identify when major events, predominantly violent incidents such as terrorism and civil unrest, um, start occurring. Back in January this year, there was a um, terrorism attack against a hotel complex in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, the Dusit Hotel. Uh, we got a alert from one of these social media aggregators 37 minutes before it hit the news. And with our platform, that, that alert is geotagged and it lands onto our map and it automatically builds that geofence to the parameters that, that you as the user have set. So tell me, tell me um, uh, about any facilities or employees I might have in a given area, let's say of two miles from any um, uh, report of potential terrorism or, or active shooter events. Um, and we saw that the map returned a, and, and returned in seconds a hotel location which was the hotel complex that the attack was taking place at. Uh, So therefore identifying that we had an employee in that hotel. And so within 30 minutes before uh, this event hits the news, we are on the phone to that that individual in the hotel to make sure that they are okay. And then once we've established that, that we can get on the, uh, we can use our security contacts in, in in the country to speak to local law enforcement inform them that we have an employee that is uh, in this particular room on this particular floor of the hotel to use a particular safe word that we give them so that they know that it's the security forces and not the terrorists that are coming through and doing their sweeps. And at the same time, human resources can be on the phone to the employee's uh, next of kin or family members, letting them know that the employee is, is in that hotel, but they are safe. Um, and all that happens 20, 20, 30 minutes before it even hits the news channels. Um, so I think it can be a real game changer from a duty of care perspective and looking after your employees and your customers, uh, but also from a business resiliency perspective, learning about when uh, events happen in real time and being able to respond uh, very fast and effectively to make sure that, that you keep your operations running.
It almost sounds like you, you're getting to the point where you can be proactive instead of reactive as well in terms of responding to these events. I think um, when we talk about this, and, and don't get me wrong, it sounds incredibly interesting, um, but I think that the, probably the, the elephant in the room is that, that tracking and that uh, the question of protection of private data. So for a lot of the things we, we've talked about, real-time tracking of hurricanes or you know a storm event or flooding in a river, that's okay. We're, we're, we're happy with that. We're not so happy with real-time tracking of, of people. I mean, I could definitely imagine situations where people will opt into this Location is a very personal thing. Um, how are you solving for this? Like I say, I think static things, uh, natural disasters, yeah. But if this system is going to work, at least in my mind, we need that that dynamic update of where are these people that we're interested in tracking if we're going to manage the risk around them. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 look, I think with the advent of GDPR. Um, and other PII concerns, which are absolutely warranted in this day and age. Uh, I think we do have to be incredibly careful about what data we ingest into to platforms like this, especially from the corporate the, the, the corporate's perspective. So um, we do a couple of things from Watchkeeper International's point of view. Uh, number one, um, we have our own secure cloud services, which organizations can obviously push their information uh, into our secure cloud. Um, or we can deploy our platform in-house, um, on-premise, behind their own firewalls so that uh, the system is doing the API calls to their human resources and their travel management systems, for example, which may contain or actually do contain PII, all safely and securely behind their firewalls. And, and we as a company cannot see, view or access that data. But with regards to mobile personnel, I, I think organizations... Um, are really looking at tracking individuals only when they go to high-risk countries. So, for instance, again, at the, at the, at the financial organization I worked at, we did do uh, business in the likes of Iraq and Afghanistan and in, 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 in other countries where the risk level is, is what many would deem as extreme. And uh, we would offer a, a tracking app out to those individuals for their own peace of mind so that if they got into any trouble they had a big red button so to speak on their phone that they could press uh, and we would automatically get the gps coordinates of of that uh, individual on the map uh, we would be alerted again in real time and we could then uh, spin up our response with uh, local close protection vendors that we use in those countries but it's it's it, it's really it's not, in my opinion, to be used um, just generally uh, for employee populations. It's really just to protect those that are at the at the uh, sharp end of the stick, so to speak, when it comes to operating in 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 high risk environments. Yeah, and again, I think we, we we come back to the idea of context. What is the context? Where are these people? Where are these assets? And I, I think it's a little bit naive to to think that we never want to be tracked. In some situations, if you're working in you know truly dangerous environments, you know I can imagine a lot of people would opt into tracking. But when I think about tracking in the future, for me personally, and these are my just my own thoughts and feelings about it. I don't see it as uh, if we're going to be tracked all the time. I see it as a question of when we're going to be tracked all the time. And I say that because I think that the the level of personalization that'll come with people with with knowing where you are, you know, with other organizations knowing where you are, we, we, we will want it. We will ask for it. And in my mind, at least, it's not a question of if, it's when. And 
I think it's probably a question of resolution. Like I might want people to know that I am in Denmark and give me search results based on the, the language that, that's used in this country. I might want people knowing that I'm in the city of you know, Copenhagen, for example, like show me how to get around in my city or the street address. But I think as for me, at least when I think about tracking, I can see the pushback coming around that precise location. You know, where are you exactly? In a future where, where it plays out like this, where the question is more, what's the resolution of tracking? What kind of possibilities does this give for your system? What will be possible in a future like that that is maybe not possible today? I, I, think, there's, um, uh, I think there's a couple of points here. So um, just to build on what you were saying, firstly, I, I think you've got to remember that organizations have a duty of care to their employees um, to make sure that they uh, operate in a safe environment, business environment. But there's also another thing, uh, there's a, another theory which is not necessarily grounded in legislation like duty of care, um, but that is duty of loyalty, which is more on the employee themselves, that they will do everything in their best power to make sure that they don't put themselves at risk. So I think there's a nexus here between both the employer and the employee to ensure that uh, we can create a, a viable environment where people can do their work uh, and not be under threat from um, civil disturbance, terrorism, uh, or even those natural disasters. So there are organizations like Uber, for example, who um, we all use from a consumer level for traveling around. And obviously, there are some uh, large organizations that are using Uber as part of their travel expenses. Um, so they have a business account with Uber and any employees when they're traveling can use Uber and it's obviously just automatically put into their expense portfolio. But what Uber will be able to do is give us the GPS uh, coordinates of where they drop those employees off. And from a crisis management perspective, that gives us a new dynamic of understanding where people are uh, beyond the hotel booking that they have. So the hotel might be outside of the risk threshold that you've set up for alerts around a, a civil disturbance uh, incident. But we know that people go out for dinner and want to kind of um, soak up the culture of a city that they're traveling to in the evenings. And so they might have caught an Uber into that specific location. And if you take the example of, of London Bridge, we know that kind of although hotels are, are, are kind of maybe kind of uh, employees are staying in hotels that are not directly in London Bridge. People will travel to that area uh, because of the Shard, because of Borough Market, etc. And so being able to understand who might be there outside of office hours uh, is an absolute game changer. And I don't think that's necessarily infringing on employees uh, or pers people's uh, rights. Um, it's a business account that's been paid for by the company. Um, and again, it's only really utilized if there is a catastrophic event that takes place. Um, so, yeah, very, um, very interesting um, uh, potential in, in the future for applications like that. Absolutely. I just have two quick questions before we say goodbye to each other. And the first one is, so we've talked a whole bunch about what you're doing and the potential that's in the system that you're building. Um, if you could name one of your target customers or an industry that you think would be one of the first adopters what what would that be um, i get asked this question quite a lot and there's just so many use cases i mean i mean if, in one respect you could start at the top of the fortune 500 the largest companies in the world that have 
Um, obviously, employees and facilities spread throughout the world and, and start targeting them. Um, I think oil and gas, the oil and gas sectors are um, a, a critical um, element for us. Uh, why? Because they not only have uh, large operations spread throughout the world, but uh, oil and gas fields tend to be located in places which are either close to um, conflict areas, so in the Middle East, for example, or prone to natural disasters, so the Gulf of Mexico, uh, where you have oil platforms at risk of, of hurricanes, etc. So I, I think that would be a, a kind of key industry that we look at. Also, just heavily regulated industries um, like your oil and gas, but your um, financial services as well. I think regulators and insurance companies are beginning to see uh, that the cost uh, associated with these natural disasters these days are, or violent incidents, are increasing exponentially. 2017, natural disasters caused economic losses of $330 billion. Um, and so in order to mitigate against the risks of those um, of, a, of a company being impacted by those types of events, insurance companies are certainly interested on, on how they can get companies to be more uh, proactive in mitigating threats. And also from the regulatory side, they obviously want to ensure that some of these uh, sectors, which are, I guess, critical national infrastructure to many countries, um, are resilient. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. And I think, too, in, with regards to insurance companies, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen them step in and say, hey, there's there's some new technology on the market. It's going to dramatically improve or decrease the risk of X. Let's incentivize people to use it. And I think that's a little bit of, of what you were getting at there, at least. This is the last question, I promise. Could you envision a consumer version of this? So, so what I'm specifically thinking about is perhaps individuals that are that are traveling and just want to opt in to be tracked and alerted. So I, I could imagine, for example, having a cell phone app where I say, hey, track me for the next uh, three months while I travel by myself through South America. And if there is any sort of, you know, civil unrest around me, tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we've all had... Our, our, our worried mother or father or grandparents or whatever kind of pinging us text messages or phone calls when we've been abroad in certain countries and something's occurred and we've been lying on a beach completely oblivious to what's going on at times. So uh, absolutely, I think there there, are, there is room and space for a, a consumer version of this product. Um, I think what you've got to be very careful about, though, is um, not uh, fear-mongering. Having been in the corporate security industry, there, there is far too much of that. And I think we're not here to, to kind of tell you about all of these risks and alert to kind of scare you from uh, enjoying your holidays or going to certain jurisdictions or, or conducting business in, in certain places. It's really uh, using that location intelligence to, to, to make sure that it's appropriate to where you are and, uh, what is, what, uh, and the environment that you're in. So I, I think there certainly is. Um, it, it's, a, it's not it's not on our roadmap at the in the next kind of year or so. But absolutely, I could see that we probably rolled out rolled out a free version of this platform where we use some of those public sources of data from like USGS, from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and other weather data sources around the world to be able to kind of notify people of of, of what's going on. So I think there's many applications and I think the consumer market will be one that we certainly look towards in the, in the future. 
Firstly, I, I just want to say um, I'm really pleased to hear you to hear you mention that about fear mongering because I think in in your industry with a, with the kind of product that you have, I think that'd be a really easy button to push and a really easy direction to to sort of chase people into, if you know what I mean, and to increase sales, increase awareness of what you're doing. I think there's a lot of that out there just in the world in general. So it was really nice to hear you say that that's something that you're not interested in. We see the product more as um, being able to turn risks into opportunities. These risks occur around the world. They're often instantaneous. They happen without any warning, um, uh, but they don't impact everyone. I have I have lived in London uh, virtually my whole life, and there have been a number of violent incidents that have occurred in London from the terrorist attacks in 2005 to the, the recent event at London Bridge, along with other civil disturbances. But uh, I've never experienced them myself because London's an incredibly big city. But I think there's a lot of sensationalism that goes on in the media these days, um, which can lead people who don't necessarily understand the local geography of a country or, a, of an, or an urban area to start getting concerned about what might be at risk or, or the kind of misaligned with what is um, actually happening. Um, and I always remember when we had the, the, the riots in um, 2011 in London, we had a lot of people from the United States starting to call us up and say, is it safe to travel to London? Now, in some respects, that's a perfectly adequate question. But the, the riots kind of were in very localised areas, predominantly residential areas, uh, they weren't near any of our kind of then facilities. And I think it's just about using that location intelligence, as we spoke about kind of at the beginning of this um, discussion, to contextualize the risk so that we know what is important for us to be aware of and, and what events are really not, not going to have an impact on us. Hugh, I really want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to have this discussion with me. Uh, it's really interesting. I'm um, deeply uh, impressed by what you're building and the scale that you're, that you're building it for. You know, it, it sounds incredible. Where can we go to follow along and, and learn more about you and your work? So uh, Watchkeeper uh, International is the name of the company. Uh, we're obviously on, on, the, on the web. Um, you can follow us on, on Twitter, at the handle at Watchkeeper. We're also on LinkedIn, where we're doing a, a lot of posts at the moment around forthcoming Hurricane, Hurricane Dorian. So, so yeah, there's, um, there's various places where it'd be great if people kind of stayed up to date with what we're developing and some of the risks that we're trying to manage. Thanks again, Hugh. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and I really want to thank you for tuning in again this week. It's, it's a, been a real pleasure making these podcast episodes for you. If you have a friend that you think might like them, please share it with them. I would really appreciate that. And as always, you are more than welcome to reach out to me for whatever reason on social media. And to do that, you'll find a few useful links in the show notes. That's it from me. Talk next week. Bye.